everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Hardcore Gamers Show, our show about video games and why you should play them. Uh, I'm your hardcore host, Vincent, and with me today are my guests, uh, Nathan Ludall. Ka-chow. No, wait, hold on. Can I try that again? Hold on. Uh, uh, I, 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 I have something new for each time. I'm trying to... Um... Please keep this entire thing. Uh, Cars for has been canceled, oh, so Nathan Ludall goes with it. Uh, to his left is Michael Koval. Hello, hello. And to his geographical left is uh, Chris Wiles. What's up? Chris, you are actually kind of geographically left of us, actually. It's kind of funny to think about. Anyway, less about geography. Today's special episode of the Hardcore Gamers Show is going to be about getting into Monster Hunter. We're doing things a little differently this time. As I have been a longtime fan of the Monster Hunter series, joined by my lovely co-host Nathan, who is a recent newcomer with Monster Hunter World, and two, I want to say, complete rookies... Yeah, so I played the what I think may have been the original on PSP when the PSP was a thing, and mm. that was it. Yeah, and I played um, maybe one or two hunts uh, on World to see what it was about, and that wasn't enough to grab me at the time. Well, excellent. With the release of Monster Hunter Rise on Nintendo Switch... I've been back into hunting, doing some hunts with Nathan. It's been a really great time. I'll uh, sing the praises of Monster Hunter Rise soon enough. But what you should know is that today we're going to be talking about some of the history of Monster Hunter, some of the mechanics, some of the long-standing traditions, and uh, how this game really exploded in the West on the release of Monster Hunter World. Um. Gosh, where do we even get started? Nathan, uh, tell me, what brought you to Monster Hunter? So I originally have had never played a Monster Hunter game until Monster Hunter World. I had gotten into Monster Hunter World kind of late in the game. Like I think I picked it up and started playing circa 2020, maybe, yeah, 2020. And I got, I think, like 15 to 20 hours into it just because I'd heard so much praise like about the series prior to this, but I, it never like quite clicked for me. Um, but that's like that uh, until like rise. And we'll talk more about that later, but monster Hunter world was my, uh, first like, uh, dip of the toe, I guess, into the ocean. That is monster hunter. It is certainly an ocean. This game is vast. It is uh, demanding of your attention. It used to be even more so. Um, I started playing Monster Hunter originally back in 2014. I tried playing Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate on my 3DS. I did a couple hunts and got so um, <laughs> so discouraged just by like not being good at the game. And uh, just not really understanding like what was fun about preparing for hunts and then going into these games and like hunting down monsters. Um, but as we'll kind of get into, like by the time that Monster Hunter Four Ultimate came out, I was playing it a lot more in college, and I got really, really into the loop. So that um, 
at the point when Monster Hunter World came out, we were back to console. That game had so many quality of life improvements, even over the most recent 3DS entries at the time, uh, even more than uh, Monster Hunter's Generations. Man, there are so many Monster Hunter titles. <laughs> we'll get into that as well. Um, but I think we should just get started probably at the beginning. So um, if y'all had to take a guess without maybe looking at a wiki and seeing when games were released, uh, could you guess when the first Monster Hunter came out? Um, well, having memories of playing it on the PSP, I'm going to wager around PS2 or PS1 era. Safe. Yeah, I, I think this originally was a PS2 title. Um, I don't know what time frame. Early 2000s, I, I have to imagine. Yeah, early 2000s. That's the, that's the one. Uh, we're looking at a release of March 11th, 2004 in Japan. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it released on the PlayStation 2 and was a, a captivating new game from Capcom where players would grab certain weapons, go out on hunts, uh, hunt down monsters, bring back their parts, and make armor, items, and more weapons to go back out and hunt higher-level monsters and use their body for parts. Now, this is essentially the core gameplay loop of Monster Hunter. Uh, you go into town, you get ready for a hunt, and then you go out into the game. So originally, uh, something that's highly different now, so I just have to state it up front, the Monster Hunter areas are a couple separate maps that are separated into zones. So you would know that you could find a monster in a, like zone 11, and you would spawn in zone 1. So you would have to navigate through these maps into separate zones, and... What separated these zones were loading screens. Uh, that's a lot of loading screens between 1 and 11. Absolutely. And uh, I know you played a little bit of World, and Nathan, you started on World. Um, there are no loading screens in that game when you're mm -hmm. in, a, in a hunt. No, you just uh, go right through it. Um, yeah, I had heard the horrors of like the zones and everything when previous Monster Hunter titles... But that by the time I got to World, like, yeah, you were just dropped in the map and, uh, you know, given a weapon, said, here you go, kid. Mm hmm. So that was kind of its thing, right? Is it was oh, World was open world? I think, you know, that's probably how they found some sort of uh, naming convention. But I think you're pretty much on the nose there. Uh, it opened up so many of the old Monster Hunter tropes. Uh, especially with that open map being able to run through different zones. And, you know, it can be tough getting uh, knocked off of a monster and sent into a loading screen because that was a thing that happened. So, very relentless game. And another really interesting bit about that original Monster Hunter, uh, the attacks now placed on buttons, as any normal video game should be, the attacks were actually on the right analog stick. Oh my gosh. You did so many weird experimental things with games like that uh, in the early days. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think people were used to having uh, two sticks, you know? Yeah. Imagine playing um, 
Monster Hunter with the same mindset that you would play something like Skate 2. <laughs> so uh, that actually changed pretty quickly. Monster Hunter was ported to the PlayStation Portable as, uh, I want to say, Monster Hunter G... Oh, it was Monster Hunter Portable was the one, but the enhanced version of Monster Hunter was Monster Hunter G, which introduced G-rank quests into the game. This is important for the naming conventions and further Monster Hunter entries. <laughs> we'll be getting into that. That's going to be the catchphrase of the episode. Um, but before we do, let's talk a little about the weapons, because when you look at the aesthetic of Monster Hunter, I think what you see a lot of times is that big, like, bone greatsword that, like, looks like it's made out of a monster's jaw. Yeah, I mean, like, whenever I think of, like, just Monster Hunter in general, I just, like, think of just how massive the weapons are compared to the people that are wielding them. They're just absolutely, like, enormous. Scale is super important in the design of Monster Hunter because you are human-shaped and human-sized, so you're running up against uh, basically dinosaurs and mythological creatures and dragons all at once. Um, and your only tool for defeating them are these really bombastic, over-the-top uh, weapons. Uh, for example, I think believe the first game only started out with a sword and shield, a long sword, a great sword, and then the uh, two light and heavy bow guns. But you were limited to these first six weapons, and since then, they've added about eight more. Uh, fan favorites, the dual blades, gun lance, uh, a bow, something called a switch axe, which, Nathan, you can tell us about the switch axe. I can. Switch Axe is a cool kind of dual type weapon. Um, and it's just like how its name uh, implies, you know, one mode is a kind of faster light damaging axe um, that's used to like just build up combos. And then the second mode is a sword that really lays into the monster and just racks up uh, damage points like crazy. And that's where you get like it's it's slow as heck though, but if you can land your hits, you just do devastating damage. So, uh, what is the deal with the gauge on the switch axe? Because a lot of these weapons have a like third bit of almost like metagame performance to them. Yeah. So the gauge. Yeah. So each weapon, like you were saying, does have like its own like kind of tr uh, unique trait to it that differs it from other weapons. Um, for, so for the switch axe specifically, there's a gauge in the corner that looks just like the weapon. And so in your axe mode, you're supposed to build up that gauge. Um, and this goes hand in hand with the sword mode. So once you build up the gauge in your axe mode, you switch to your sword mode and you start hitting with it. And then once you deal enough damage points with your sword, it goes into like this like supercharged, like super saiyan kind of thing. Your uh sword just starts to like light up and get all staticky. And that's when you start doing like hyper damage and you can like land super like massive combos as well as like do like grapples and just lay it into the monster. So that's what that specific gauge does uh for the switch axe. That's interesting hearing uh, about how they started with less uh, weapon types 
and have added since because uh, I think these games are lauded for their um, sort of versatility and uh, different 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 amounts of like uh, gameplay types. D- do you switch between them often with so many options, or is it kind of better to choose? like one weapon to stick with and and like level up in that and with that level or something. That's an excellent question, Michael. Um, and that actually kind of ties into a pretty uh, core uh, gameplay mechanic for Monster Hunter. There are no levels. There are no levels, really. You'll be uh, locked into doing certain hunts depending on which hunts you've defeated before. As you progress, your hunter rank rises, uh, but mostly your character does not level up. The only way that your character becomes better is through your equipment. Uh, equipment like swords and shields, uh, switch axes, and even armor are all made out of monster parts. So realistically, as long as you have the monster parts, you can build essentially any weapon in the game at any given point in time. Uh, With that in mind, I actually do sometimes, uh, a little less recently since I've really gotten into the groove with the hunting horn, uh, I switch between that and the charge blade, a uh, sword and shield that deals uh, more damage and elemental damage based on its uh, filling gauges. So... Uh, you'll find that some weapons work a little better in some contexts, whether they be blunt, like the hunting horn, or uh, severing, like the sword and shield, or longsword, or switch axe. Uh, they both have pros and cons, and I think depending on however you want to play the game, that is when you can decide to like switch between weapons. There's no punishment for trying out a new weapon except for you may not be as skilled in it, right? So I guess as far as as long as you're practicing in a safe space, you can really try out any weapon you'd like at any given time. Okay, awesome. Um, that's, that's cool. It sounds like there's a little bit of depth to it then um, as well, and not just necessarily uh, whatever you're most comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And each weapon um, has... There are so many different types of each weapon type. For example, you can make a uh, Rathian weapon, a weapon out of Rathian parts, uh, and that weapon will usually have fire damage attached to it, right? Um, so if you go and fight a monster that has an elemental weakness to fire, that Rathian weapon is going to serve you better than maybe, say, uh, a weapon with electric elemental damage that you made out of uh, kicking the ass of like a Kezu or a Zenogre or something like that. Um, you'll find that a lot of times you're building more equipment and saving more equipment that by the time you're in the end game, you have an arsenal of tools that you're able to use in any hunt. One of those tools the one that I mentioned earlier, is the hunting horn. Uh, I'm going to shine a quick little spotlight since Nathan got to talk about the switch axe. The hunting horn is the only uh, technical and I believe labeled support weapon in the game. Essentially what it is, is it's a big mallet. And depending on which 
buttons you press in combination with one another, you can create melodies. These melodies act as AOE stat buffs for you and your hunting teammates. So whenever you're out on a hunt and whipping around this big horn, or sometimes it's a guitar, sometimes it's like a bongo, you know, the hunting horn has a lot of like style to it as well. That's one of the reasons I like it. You're essentially just buffing all of your teammates at once. So I can pick up this game and just be a bard from D&D. You can absolutely be a bard. And you're as annoying and as amazing as a bard. You get to do everything. And the hunting horn has, uh, because it's a blunt weapon, if you hit a monster in the head with it, they gain stun damage. (laughs) (laughs) It's Um, great. Um, is there a big focus on team play in this one then, or in the series in general? Michael, you nailed it right on the head. Multiplayer is key to late game Monster Hunter, and really, I would say the ideal Monster Hunter experience. Um, from PlayStation Portable is when uh, I believe multiplayer hunts started becoming more accessible, if not uh, introduced. But you'll find in these later hunts, when you go past low rank into high rank, and then later into G rank quests, you need as many bodies there as you can just to try to mitigate some of the damage dealt to you and to try to chip away from some of these massive health bars. Uh, You never see a health bar on a monster. You just have to hit it until it's dead. Mm -hmm. The closest thing there is to like a health bar or any sort of indicator is that like, so in each hunt, there's like a portrait of the monster in the right hand corner of the screen. And once you get the monster down to like, it's like kind of low point, it's does like show physical, like staggering. It does like start to slow down, but there's a little blue icon that appears below that portrait that starts flashing. Um, And that's like the only indicator you get, like besides like having an actual health bar that the monster is, like, almost dead. So you spoke about that portrait, Nathan, and uh, I think now is the time to sort of talk about some of these, uh, some more quality-of-life updates in between these other Monster Hunter games and Monster Hunter World into Monster Hunter Rise. So when you leave for a quest as well, you need to prepare most of the items you have. Uh, Part of that is eating, Uh, Eating before quests, so you have stat buffs. Uh, Monster Hunter World introduced a um, function that if you forgot to eat, you could eat at a camp. And uh, I'm pretty sure that's the first game that ever did something like that. So there would be times where you get ready for a hunt and you leave and you realize that you haven't eaten. Now your health bar is essentially halved. And you have to try to make do with whatever you have. And in those original Monster Hunter games, that's not going to get you very far. So since you mentioned eating, um, how, uh, how much focus is there on like consumables and like, you know, outside of armor and equipment, like augmenting your like abilities during fights? Yeah, uh, consumables mostly are up to your um, use. So I'd say, Nathan, how about you tell me what you usually pack during a hunt and why? Mm -hmm. 
So I usually, so um, at the start of each hunt, like when you actually get to the map, you can go over to the chest and it'll give you a couple of starter stuff like healing as well as like uh, stamina regenerate and like a couple other things. The things you want prior to that, that you actually want to prep, I usually take just some more healing potions and like stamina stuff on top of that just to have just in case, as well as um, prepping some bombs for use uh, to start extra damage for the hunts. And then depending on the monster, the materials I need, I also pack uh, traps. So instead of there's uh, killing the monster, you could also like catch it and get different kind of material from it for whatever piece of armor or weapon you need. So that's what I usually take with me on my loadouts as well as maybe like some antidotes or other uh, uh, stat debuffs or a, stat buffs. A quick aside: you mentioned bringing traps and capturing monsters. Uh, when Nathan mentioned that there's a little blue icon next to the portrait of the monster on the screen in Monster Hunter Rise, uh, that is a signifier that a monster is ready to be trapped. That they are mm -hmm. exhausted enough and beaten to a certain point that you can trap them. This is the first Monster Hunter game to have something this concrete. In Monster Hunter World, you could see like basically a little uh, flat line or like a little EKG meter on the. Oh gosh, I don't know what to call it. You know the when you go to a hospital and you see the beep beep, and there's a little line. Um, time to pull the plug. Yeah, time to pull the plug on these monsters. When you see that flat line in Monster Hunter World, that's usually when you can get a successful trap and capture. But that's not always the case. Monster Hunter Rise introduced that little portrait signifier to really show you when a monster is ready to be captured. And even before Monster Hunter World, the only way you could even think to know whether a monster is ready to be captured is whether you could see a drool leaving out of the monster's mouth. So whatever you could interpret on your little PS2 uh, or PSP screens and your 3DS screens, like <laughs> you have to be really looking out for some of these markers. God, that sounds horrible. <laughs> like already yeah. capturing is already like kind of difficult compared to just like outright killing the monster. I can't imagine not having that indicator there and just throwing traps out as much as I possibly can. So since uh, since you mentioned outright killing the monster too, what uh, are there advantages and disadvantages to capturing and killing, or is it always preferable to capture? Ooh, there is uh, small differences. Uh, it's going to be in uh, item drop percentages. Basically, every part you can get from a monster is based off of a uh, percentage of item drop. So this is why the uh, gameplay loop is so effective, because if you're looking for a specific material to uh, get your next piece of armor, you will grind out like hunting this monster again and again and again until you have enough materials to make that happen. So there are some materials that are only able that you're only able to get by capturing a monster and vice versa with killing it. Uh, they are usually much more attainable when you capture a monster. However, 
there are only certain parts that you can get after basically beating a monster into submission. Another part of that is just properly uh, noticing etiquette playing online. You'll see a lot of people uh, want to go for the capture uh, and get everybody capture rewards, but some people are looking for regular hunter rewards. When you're playing online, it's good to have a group that you can communicate with so you can say, this is the monster I'm looking for. This is the part I'm looking for. We can do it by capturing or we can do it by killing. And nothing's worse than when you need to capture a monster and some dude with dual blades is just going full DPS on a monster's head. Um, on that note, uh, does the game, uh, specifically this entry, Rise, uh, have any sort of matchmaking, or how does that work? Is it only with... I know it's also on Switch, uh, so, you know, Nintendo's complicated online system. Can you only <laughs> yeah. play with friends, or does it have matchmaking, or, or how, does it, how does that all work? Well, fun fact, right before I get to that, this is the first Switch game to use Nintendo's new netcode. Um, and so mm. your connection with people playing online is better than any other Switch game there's been. Interesting. That is uh, good to hear. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly... I feel like we should just like cut that bit of audio out and put it right at the top of the episode. And then, like, everyone will know to buy the game. <laughs> yeah. No, like, it's, like, shocking, like, how good my connection is, both portably and docked, playing with anybody. I notice little to no lag. And I know, like, not everybody's internet is, like, top quality or anything. So, like, like good yeah. on, like, Capcom and Nintendo for finally getting, like, the online, like, right. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's great to hear because, like I alluded to, anyone that has, <laughs> I think anyone that has uh, played or tried to play online Nintendo games has, you know, experienced that system. It's rough. And uh, we mentioned it right before recording, but just want to give a quick shout out to Capcom for just having a great couple years in a row. Uh, shout out to Devil May Cry 5 and Monster Hunter World dropping essentially back-to-back. Or Monster Hunter World was 2018, but Devil May Cry 5 and Iceborne came out in the same year. In the same, like, summer. <laughs> that's crazy. That's, that's yeah, so crazy. They've been putting out bangers at uh, an impressive clip. So Capcom, if you're looking for uh, new people to sponsor the hardcore gamers podcast is now accepting uh any amount of money or merch you want to throw at us where can they reach us at again they can reach us at hgz game club at gmail.com or on twitter at hgz games show that's games with a z um yeah so thank you capcom for uh giving my life purpose again by releasing Monster Hunter Rise and getting me absolutely back and addicted into Monster Hunter. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, before we continue, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Monster Hunter Rise, but I just wanted to talk about uh, one last thing added to Monster Hunter World, and that is Turf Wars. 
Turf wars are special interactions between monsters on a single map. They will fight one another in order to gain territory advantages. But basically what that means for you is one monster is going to get a little damage inflicted to them, and one monster is going to get a lot of damage inflicted to them. It's a little bit of a coin toss, but for the most part, you can uh, imagine that the larger monster is going to get the advantage over the smaller monster. That isn't always the case, but if you see a turf war happen, this can be very advantageous for you and can sometimes stagger a monster, leading it for even more damage. And uh, you'll find yourself coming across a lot of monsters all at once. So these turf wars are really good and a beautiful little uh, flavor interaction between... It really makes the game feel like an environment, like an ecology. Each area you enter, you see, is like dominated by this apex predator. You ever wanted to see like just more dinosaurs fight each other? Like... You know, from the movies, this is as close as it's going to get. Mm-hmm. Is it better or worse than Godzilla versus Kong? Oh, I mean, I don't know how to answer that because I had a really wonderful time watching Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> yeah, I was oh, actually. Geez, I was about fun. to say that was a low bar. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I will say it is fascinating to see uh, different monsters with different elemental types fight around one another. Um, one of the better ones I've seen is a uh, Rathian, a uh, basically mascot for the Monster Hunter series, a mascot green dragon hunting a uh, Toby Kadachi, which is a small lightning pup, basically. Um, and because the lightning lizard dog was so fast, it crawled around the Rathian, got on top of its head and electrocuted it and brought it to the ground. Get to see like actual kaiju fights like just unfold before our eyes and we're slowly cheering cuz it does damage to our own monster as well. You get that extra boost. That's cool. So, Nathan, how about you tell me a little bit about Monster Hunter Rise's hub world and uh, how it compares to maybe that much larger hub world in Monster Hunter World? Yeah, I would love to. Um, So when I went to Monster Hunter World, the biggest thing that kind of just overwhelmed me and really put me off, and I think this is probably my biggest, biggest factor as to why I never quite clicked with it, was just like you said, like Monster Hunter World's hub world is gigantic and super overwhelming, especially if you're new to the series. You're like, where is anything? Like, it's really hard to get around the map and just it's not super intuitive as to where you need to go to do certain things. Like, you can find like the, uh, you know, where to eat, but that's like basically it. You gotta like just explore like crazy. In Rise, they kind of switched to a more like modest hub world um it's just a little like village essentially and uh, everything is basically in the low plaza like immediately like you can do a lot of your hub quests from that area um as well as like go to the smithy or you know go and like initiate online play stuff like that 
The little village is called Kimura Village. It's cute as heck. There's a lot of cats and dogs running around. Um, 10 out oh my of 10. god, how have we not even mentioned almost every game you get a pet cat and they are called Palicos. Mm-hmm. Pal Calicos. <laughs> In Monster Hunter Rise, you get Palamutes, which are Pal Malamutes. They're stupidly cute, and it's the best thing ever, honestly. The localization team for the Monster Hunter games deserves multiple Nobel Peace Prizes for bringing me peace. <laughs> so this is a question I have to ask. Can you pet the dogs and cats? It's oh very my God. Can you can, Chris. Wonderful news. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Go buy this game. Your interaction with your like palicos and palamutes is just so wholesome. And it's like just having your own pets. And it's just, oh, it's great. <laughs> you even get a small uh, owl friend called a, a cohoot. Which <laughs> it, it, it does absolutely nothing. All you do is feed it and pet it and like change its clothes if you get a new costume for it. That's not true, actually. So I was going to get to that in my uh, Kimura Village thing. So I found out the Kohu has a nest in a tree nearby. It's kind of hard to get to, but when you go into the Buddy Plaza, which is where like you can do like you know train your Palamutes, Palcos, as well as get items from the Argosy, um, there's a tree that if you go around to the back and climb up it, your Kahoot is there and it has its own nest. And after um, a few like hunts, it'll have items there for you. Oh my lord! I know it blew my mind. I watched like a video on Monster Hunter. And I was like, "What? That the owl does something?" If you if y'all haven't picked this up yet, there are layers on layers on layers of depth in this game. And I think you can only get to this point and still have it be like naturally like accessible or even naturally like hidden and then able to discover it. The only way you can get to this point is by making these games for almost 20 years now. Yeah, it's it's incredible. The um the last like noteworthy area I'll talk about for the village is the hub prep area, which has um, the canteen where you eat and prep. And it also has where all the hub quests are, which are your online quests that you can play with friends or random players um, around uh, online. And uh, yeah, those are basically the like key areas for Monster Hunter Rise. There's a couple of like other stuff you can do here and there, but I'll leave that for you guys to discover. Um, yeah, it, it's having something this small, like for a game like this is a godsend. And I am like loving just like going around my little village. I gotta say, I really can appreciate concentrated hub locations, especially mm -hmm. having just recently been playing the dark souls one remaster where most of, most of the, like relevant vendors and blacksmiths are scattered to the wind. And I got to go through four different teleports and just run all over the place just to go and do something as simple as upgrade a weapon in a particular way. 
by the time you're playing most of the hub quests, I know, Michael, you asked about uh, matchmaking and getting online, and we kind of gave you like a pretty medium answer on that. But to answer it fully, yes, getting into a hunt with other people is so, so easy. You can either start a hunt and basically people will join you you can enter a uh, matchmaking lobby with people and you can all go on hunts together at the same time. Basically, this is what uh, friends will do is get together in a single lobby, uh, have a four stack and then go hunting, right? Um, or you can go to the quest board in the hub quest gathering hub area and you can leave from a quest already posted by someone else and join a quest in the middle uh, to basically hop in, get this monster, complete a quest, which is something I do frequently for quests that I'm not excited about finishing. Um, and then you're on your way. But to, to say even more, Chris, that gathering hub center is an even more concentrated version of Komura Village. It is two rooms with everything. Ooh, that's spicy. Yep. Mm. And like the game gives you like a really cool map that can like transport uh transport you to these like different areas. And the nice thing is to in between hunts, um NPC certain NPCs will want to talk to you about like uh subquests or like a uh, little like quests they want you to go on. And if you go to your map in between hunts, it'll tell you which area has somebody that wants to talk to you uh for a new quest. There is a go-to area um, hotkey on your controller. Basically, you just scroll through a couple tabs, and then you can go to an area with a little three-dot speech bubble next to it and find a new subquest. This game has optimized everything. <laughs> so uh, this just occurred to me. Uh, what consoles uh, is this game actually available on? Is it just on Switch, or are there more? And if so, is it crossplay? So, uh, Monster Hunter Rise released on the Switch, but I believe it should be getting a PC port in 2022. If they end up making a PS5 port of it, I'm honestly just going to buy the game again, because I, I feel like at this point, that is the one thing I wish about this game, is that it was on a more powerful console so that I could see these beautiful environments like very high textures and great monsters the way that monster hunter world really kind of captured my imagination but that's not to say that this game doesn't run well on the switch though like it, it looks runs gorgeous on the switch beautifully on the switch it's probably up there as like one of the best looking switch games ever at this point and to see such um amazing versatility out of the re engine like Capcom, how'd you do it? How'd you make a perfect engine? This game's an RE engine. The mm -hmm. game is an RE engine. Oh wow! I didn't know that. Um, They're getting their money out of that thing. Yeah. Another question I had was uh, that just wasn't made one hundred percent clear: is does Rise have that those same similar open world? sort of areas or are you, are there more loading screens in more separate zones uh more akin to their previous titles uh the maps are entirely open just like they were in world 
I do not see a new monster hunter ever going back to those uh, individually loaded areas again after the boom and success of Monster Hunter World. Awesome. Yeah, nobody wants those loading screens, I don't think. Well, and the nice part, too, about these maps is, like, the two, like, game changers for, like, traversing across these maps are the the Wireflies and your Palamute. And because of those two, like, new additions, it makes traversing the map, like, super fast and makes them not, like, feel smaller, but you're able to get to point A to B faster and enjoy the hunt more. And you can sharpen your weapon on the back of a Palamute. You can uh, eat some potions and meat in order to regain some of your stats. Uh, the wire bugs are essential for like quick movement from like one area to another. Basically, if you time your uh, wire bugs correctly, you can fly across the map. It's very entertaining. And we all love to hear it. No fall damage. Yay. Yep. <laughs> Fall jump as high as you want to. It sounds like um it sounds like there's a whiteboard some somewhere in the studio uh that just has quality of life circled like seven times. Um yeah. that's how you get after making so many entries and so many updates over the course of twenty years. And you know, this game like dark souls isn't a game that really like you can like make easier you kind of have to rise to its level you have to get into its mechanics you have to make sure you're prepping for a hunt and you've got the right armor on and it rewards you with these quality of life changes that make expert hunters like very very well versed in the game's mechanics and want to play even more it is cool, like and like it, like Vince was saying earlier too. Be, you know, the gameplay loop for Monster Hunter adds core is the loot. You know, you're trying to get new items to build your bear armor, but the actual combat itself too, and just the quality of life they've done with the wire bugs and everything with that, it's just so much fun. Like I, there'll be times where I don't even mind like fighting a monster, even if it's for like loot I don't need, just because the like fights themselves are just so large and and big and just they're a ton of fun like the combat is just awesome let's do it we are playing a game called mon or mon <laughs> in this amazing pokemon and monster hunter crossover that's right i'm hosting the show so we are going to talk about pokemon eventually uh i will be reading all of you different uh, either Pokedex entries or Monster Hunter journal entries to which uh, these monsters apply. And after I read the description, the entry, you basically have to guess, is it a monster or a pokey monster? So, oh, boy. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, for years you hear about all the really messed up Pokedex entries and Wow, I really found some. Um, for sake of uh, how the game is playing, I'm just going to let you all know all uh, neutral terms have been changed to monster. That doesn't mean Pokemon. It doesn't mean Monster Hunter. It is just monster. Though I may say mon after a little bit. <laughs> all right. 
Uh, I will read these and y'all will guess individually and then I will reveal the answer and who the monster is. So, our first mon has this entry. Although this monster is elegant, it is also cruel, draining body fluid from its play, prey with its thin mouth. Are, uh, are you calling on us or are we shouting out? Uh, I guess I should probably call on you, right? Keep the podcast moving. Um, <laughs> so let's go top to bottom in my order. Nathan, what do you think? Oh, this is hard. Um, I'm going to say Monster Hunter. Monster Hunter? All right. Mm-hmm. Michael, once again, this is an elegant and cruel monster that drains body fluid with a thin mouth. What do you think? Uh, I'm also going Monster Hunter on this one. All right. Chris, what do you think? If it is not Monster Hunter, I want to look up this Pokemon afterwards. <laughs> Well, you're going to have to. This is Gorbis, a <laughs> Pokemon introduced in Generation 3. Uh, Gorbis looks basically like a Marlin, uh, but it's pink. And apparently, it does this, which is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Gen th- is that Ruby and Sapphire? Yeah, it absolutely is. It, uh, it evolves from... It uh, evolves from Clam Pearl. Uh, it either evolves into Huntail or Gor- Gorbis. Um, all right. Gotcha. 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 I love this game. I'm the winner. Uh, our second entry. This monster stays hidden underneath the mud, but will not hesitate to attack those who disturb them. Nathan, if you had to guess, Mon or Mon? Uh Vince, I'm definitely going to have to go with Mon, as mm. in Monster Hunter. Okay, okay. Michael, what are you thinking? Um, yeah, I'm also going to have to go with Mon, but mine is a Pokemon. I think this is a Pokemon. Okay, great. I would love to hear what Pokemon you think it is later. Uh, Chris, what do you think this Mon is? I'm going to wager Monster Hunter. All right. Well... Nathan and Chris, you bring home the gold. This is Monster Hunter Monster Staple Baroth. B-A-R-R-O-T-H. This is a big lizard with a big head. If you've played Monster Hunter World, you've probably seen this guy out in the sand. If you've played Monster Hunter Rise, you've probably seen this guy also out in the sand. <laughs> um, I think it was introduced in Monster Hunter 3 as well. I'm, uh, I'm at a distinct disadvantage not having played uh, many Pokemon games or Monster Hunter games. <laughs> I was going to say, what, what Pokemon did you imagine? Uh, maybe like a Diglett, you know, I was just hoping. Oh, so f- <laughs> that's, that's a fair pick. All right. On to our third Mon. This monster has trouble drawing a line between friends and food. It will calmly try to melt and eat even those it gets along well with. Pretty messed up, right, Nathan? Totally. And uh, weirdly enough, I'm going to say Pokemon for this. <laughs> You've all been traumatized. You think the worst of Pokemon now. Dude, some of them, some of those Pokedex entries, like, are actually kind of screwed up when you go through them. Like, uh, yeah, I-, I believe it's a Pokemon. That's why I made this game. Michael, what do you think? 
See, I'm going to go Pokemon here as well, because I think that description, it's it sounds like it's talking about a Pokemon. So it, it gets along with, it has friends. That sounds like a personality like a Pokemon would have. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if the monsters in Monster Hunter get descriptions like that. And Chris, what do you think? I'm going to say Pokemon. I think it's probably going to be like Weepin' Bell or Victory Bell. Just mm-hmm. thinking back to the Pokemon anime from way back in the day. Right. Victory Bell always glomming on to James. Well, uh, you are all correct. This is a Pokemon. Yeah. Uh, this is a Pokemon named Sligu. Uh, it is the second evolution form of uh, whatever that gooey dragon Pokemon was from Generation 5. Uh, Gudra is the final form. Uh, but yes, I think, Michael, that's an incredibly good point. The Monster Hunter monsters have no personality. They are invasive species. And that's sort of like the impetus of the story is that like these invasive species are entering these ecosystems and you need to hunt them so that they don't destroy their environments and the entire ecology of the area. Isn't that, uh, isn't that the story of Pokemon as well? Uh, yes, actually. <laughs> After you battle a Pokemon, uh, it gets uh, stripped for parts and turned into new Pokemon. <laughs> uh, all right. Our fourth Mon. This monster bounces around on its tail. The shock of its bouncing makes its heart pump. So if it stops, it will die. Nathan, what Mon? Um... Oh, I really want to say Pokemon for this one because there's a lot, there's a few Pokemon that do like bounce around on their tails and say, I'm going to go with Monster Hunter. All right. Monster Hunter it is. And Nathan, or Nathan, Michael, what do you think? Um, I'm going with Monster Hunter as well, but it's, it, it sounds maybe like Pokemon, but I can't think of what Pokemon I think it is. The one that I'm thinking of bouncing on its tail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know what? Maybe this Pokemon doesn't even bounce on its tail, but Meryl, the kind of water Pikachu looking guy. Um, that, I think, he basically think, was a water Pikachu. But he's not a, a, an electric type. So I, I can't think of what a Pokemon that I would think it would be. So I'm going Monster Hunter as well. All right. Chris, what do you have to say? Okay, I'm going to say with confidence as a Pokemon, and Michael was on the right track, because I bet it's Azuril, the pre-evolution of Meryl. Wow. Uh, Chris, you're half right. It is a Pokemon, but it's not Azuril. It's Spoink. Spoink. What the the hell is a Spoink? It's a freaking pig with, like, it's got, like, a springy (laughs) coil tail thing. I totally forgot that thing exists, and honestly, my day was better before that, too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Our final monster is a powerful beast from another world. Its large horns and muscular frame defy nature. Nathan. What could this beast be? That beast, Vince, is a Pokemon. Final answer. Final answer. Michael? Uh, yeah, that's definitely a Pokemon. That description is 
100% one of these BS descriptions that a Pokemon would get. <laughs> um, this super mega beast that fits in your Pokeball. Yeah, that's that's a Pokemon. Uh, Michael, they're called Ultra Beasts, and they were introduced <laughs> in Sun and Moon. Chris? Um, I'm going to go with Pokemon as well, and I'm going to see if I'll go 0 for 3 here. Is it Arceus or Arceus or however you pronounce that? Uh, not only is it not a Pokemon, it's technically not even a Monster Hunter monster. But this monster is the Behemoth from the Final Fantasy series, but it was a monster during a crossover event for Monster Hunter World. That is cheap, but I love it. Of course I was going to throw a trick answer at you all. You fell for it, too. Been bamboozled. Feel cheated. I want to recall. I mean, Monster Hunter was the right answer. None of you said it, but it was the right answer. <laughs> is that not also the description of Arceus? <laughs> a powerful beast from another world. It's large horns and muscular. Honestly, Arceus is so buff. He's looking good. Swole, dude. <laughs> So uh, now that we've done the whole rundown, now that I've humiliated you all with another one of my amazing games, um, I have to ask, Michael, Chris, how are you feeling about Monster Hunter? Do you think you're going to give Rise a shot? Uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely interested. I like all of um, what I've heard in terms of making things a little bit faster, making things a little more quality of life uh, focused um that all gets me in more because um what i what i didn't like so much about world was a, a slower pace and i think that one was even faster than uh, previous entries have been so i'm excited to to check rise out um i've definitely warmed up to the idea i'm thinking i might i might pick it up as if it's only on the Switch. I might wait a minute or two, but I'll probably check this out. Here. I think waiting is a pretty uh, excellent option as well. The game released with not so, so much endgame content, but one of the great things about Monster Hunter games is that they're supported for years. So there's always new events. There's hopefully going to be some future crossovers. Um, Monster Hunter World got crossovers from Horizon Zero Dawn, The Witcher, Street Fighter, Devil May Cry, Final Fantasy. I think as this game uh, continues to be in the public eye, people are going to want to play it more, and people are definitely going to reach out and try... Uh, we're going to get more Monster Hunter topics, or more Monster Hunter things as it goes on more events more quests god i'm just like basically just yeah i'm staring at my switch wishing <laughs> that i was playing monster hunter right now that's how it goes when you get this in <laughs> well thank you all so much for joining us that is going to wrap it up for our show for now uh, remember, again, you can follow us at HGZ Games Show, that's games with a Z, and uh, join in on our game club discussion. We will be coming at you, hopefully soonish, with our game club on Soma at the end of every month. So, thank you, Chris, thank you, Michael, and thank you, Nathan, for being with me today. 
This is the Hardcore Gamers Show, and keep on gaming.